Betty didn't realise that being a Christian meant more than just claiming to trust Jesus, more than saying a prayer all those years ago. Now, Freddie and, and Betty represent two common mistakes that people make when it comes to Christianity. Freddie thinks that you get to heaven based on what you do, based on your good deeds, but Betty thinks you can get to heaven without good deeds. Uh, Freddie's mistake is one that the Apostle Paul corrects in a few places in the Bible, such as Galatians 2 or, or Ephesians 2, uh, or even Romans 3, which Jeff read briefly earlier. Uh, all passages which help us to understand how we are saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus, and, and not by our own deeds. But Betty's mistake is, is quite different. And it's one that, that James picks up on in Greeks in chapter 2 of his letter. And it's the one we're going to be looking at today. James corrects those who think that it's enough to simply claim we have faith in Jesus by showing us that our deeds are actually proof of that faith. They show that our faith is alive. And that's what we want to be sure of and right. We want to know where we stand before where we stand before God now so that we won't be shocked when we face him one day. And so the question for us this morning, is my faith a living faith? Is my faith a living faith? Uh, before we dive in, a bit of background to the letter. James, the, the brother of Jesus, is, is writing this letter to God's people who are scattered around the nations. And surprisingly, there's actually very little mention of Jesus in the book of James. And, and this has led people like Martin Luther to question whether it should be in the Bible at all. Uh, the reason is much about Christ is assumed or implied in the letter. Uh, there are more than 50 instructions in the book, uh, and that makes it a very practical book. It covers topics such as caring for the needy, controlling the tongue, quarrelling, uh, personal purity, and even the use of money. And many of the warnings in the book are against living a double life. And one of the key verses which gives us a sense of, of James's purpose in writing them there comes in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Now let me read it. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James is writing the letter to make sure that these believers don't wander from the truth. Exactly what Freddie and, and Betty seem to have done. It's what some of us may be doing without realising. Uh, so we begin to keep that in mind as we look at these verses today. And there are two main points in the passage. Uh, the first is that a deedless faith is a dead faith. A deedless faith is a dead faith in verses 14 to 19. Uh, so to start with, why don't we look at verses 14 to 17. Uh, notice how James uses the term uh, the terms of brother and sister. So he's concerned for the way Christians are treating one another. People united in Christ. One Christian is in need, not having enough clothes to keep warm or even food for that day. But instead of helping the person in need, the man just wishes them well. You can imagine him using a couple of cliches. Hope it goes well. God will provide. Take care. Uh, and then he just carries on without doing anything to address these physical needs. I think it's fair to assume that the man is in a position where he could help this brother or sister if he wanted to, and yet he doesn't. James says, what good is it? 
Is there any point in claiming to have faith and yet acting in this way? You see, a deepless faith is a dead faith. And a deepless faith is also a Christless faith. Because it's when we stop paying attention to Jesus that we fall into this kind of behaviour. Remember, Jesus was the one who had compassion on the crowds and, and who fed them. Or remember Matthew 25 where Jesus says, He will return and separate the sheep from the goats. His people from those who are not his. His people will be rewarded. And the reason he gives, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the people, his, his people will ask, When did we do any of those things? And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If we don't have love for a brother or sister in need, then we probably need to take a closer look at our love for Jesus and at his words. James doesn't mince his words in this passage because Jesus did. We can't ignore these words. We want to be among the sheep, not the goats. And so remember, what we do for our Christian brothers and sisters, we do for Jesus. And doesn't that transform the way that we think about helping Christians who are in need? It goes from an obligation to an opportunity. Now in verses 18 and 19, James does James something helpful for us. Uh, he points out a possible objection to what he said. And I think the way to read it is that James is anticipating how, how someone might argue against him. Someone might try and say that you can separate faith and deeds. One person might claim to have faith, another claims to have faith as though people can have one or the other. To which James basically responds with, what a load of rubbish. I think he's saying in, in verse 19, if you, think, uh, if you think it's possible to have faith without peace, well, give me an example. Because I will happily show you my faith by what I do. And why I think that's helpful our hearts are, are self-interested. And we naturally come up with objections to actually helping those in need. That's almost our, our default setting at times. Objection after objection after objection. Sound like a lawyer. Don't be fooled. Uh, James reminds us that we're objecting is a, a real danger for us. And then he makes a further point. We won't agree with the things about God. Anyone can believe that there's one God. Anyone can say that they believe it's true. And we're an Anglican church, uh, and one of the great strengths of the Anglican church is, is the liturgies that we say together that affirm the truths of the Christian faith. Timeless truths summarised for our benefit. But it's very easy to say things that are true about God, because as we see in verse 19, even the demons say and believe things that are true about God. Think of the demon in Mark 1 who says this about Jesus. I know you are the Holy One of God. But it's pretty clear that even though the demon believes that, that's the extent of the response to Jesus. See, living faith goes further than that. It's not simply enough to claim faith, to, to read out liturgy every, every now and then in the church, but not have any actions that back it up. 
belief is, is never the end point. Now I wonder if our actions go further than just belief that God is real. I'm sure none of us here would say that faith and deeds can be separated, but what do our actions tell us about that faith? I know for me there are times where, where I act as though deeds are some sort of spiritual gift that I just don't have. James warns against that. He says to these Christians, you, you can't separate your, your claims of being a Christian from actually living like a Christian. To do so makes, makes our words useless. And ultimately, it dishonors God. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 22, he, he's already warned them not to deceive themselves by hearing the word and, and not doing it. And here he gives an example. Uh, as a church, I think we've been blessed for a number of years to have had people uh, committed to teaching God's word to us, uh, teaching us the truths of the Bible, both within the church and, and from outside the church as well, uh, from up the front, from uh, Bible studies, from, from conferences. And that's a, a wonderful blessing that we have received from God. The danger is if our knowledge grows, but our hearts become hard and we don't obey. As we grow in uh, our knowledge of the truth, is it changing us? If you look back over the last year, or two years, or, or five years, can, can you see changes in the way you care for brothers and sisters in need? Are we being transformed, or, or as some people put it, are we becoming smarter sinners? <coughs> if we can't see change, then what changes can we make in this year ahead? Remember that a deedless faith is a dead faith. The second point that James makes here, a living faith is an active faith. And the key verse is in verse uh, 24. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And that makes you concerned, that's okay. Uh, as we saw earlier, through free and dead, James uses that word justified in a, in a different way than Paul does. Even though it seems like a contradiction, Paul uses it to talk about how we are saved. It's through faith and not works. James is using it to talk about the evidence that we are saved. And that is why a living faith is, is an active faith. It shows itself in deeds. James has a specific point to make to these Israelites who, who were scattered among other nations. Jewish believers living among Gentiles. He says to them, these are your brothers and sisters. They might be from different tribes, they might be from different nations, but if you see a brother or sister in need, a living faith will lead you to action. Uh, in verse 20, presumably still talking to a person who objects to what he said, he says, You foolish man, what evidence do you want that faith without works is useless? And he gives us two positive examples of a living faith that is surrounded by deeds. Examples of Abraham and Rahab. You remember the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 15. God promised Abraham a son of his own, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But then God asked him to sacrifice that son, and Abraham had to decide whether or not to trust God. And he did have faith in God, and therefore he acted and was willing to do what God asked of him. Uh, and as you know, God intervened and made sure he didn't kill his son. And in verse 23, we see that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called 
God's dream. Verse 25 then gives us the example of Rahab, which is a bit more surprising. Abraham was the father of faith. Rahab was a prostitute. So, so why here? Because hers is surely one of the greatest examples of living faith. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua uh, had sent spies into the land that God had promised to his people. And Rahab protected the spies from the king of Jericho. Rahab had heard about the God of the Israelites. Uh, and listen to her testimony uh, to the spies. I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. <coughs> when we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, this is a, a Canaanite woman, normally an enemy of God, who had faith in God, and because of that, she acted. You see that a person is justified by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, there's a saying which you may have heard that goes like this. Uh, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Saving faith is always accompanied by action. And these two examples are proof of that. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to point out with these two examples. A living faith is an active faith, no matter the cost. A living faith is an active faith, no, no matter the cost. In examples of Abraham and Rahab, and even earlier examples of a, a brother or sister in need, the action required comes at great cost. For Abraham, uh, it was his son and the potential of descendants. For Rahab, it, it could have cost her a lot. It was going against the people of the land, committing treason. Rahab is the opposite of, of verse 16. Imagine if she'd given that great testimony to the two spies and then said to the spies, I already pray that you'll survive. I hope it goes well. Uh, all the best. And, and then ignored their need for protection. Abraham and Rahab had faith in God and so they acted. And James is calling these Christians to do the same and he's calling us to do the same. I think we can all say we do things because of the impact of the gospel on our lives, but one way in which we can better gauge whether we're really obeying this call is to think about the cost of our deeds. It's not hard for me to offer help to someone when it fits around my schedule. Sure, I can help, but I have half an hour and three months' time where I can help you. Outside of that, you're on your own. Uh, these instances where, where a brother or sister is in need, they often will come when it's inconvenient. When we've planned out our day or our week, one of our brothers or sisters from church needs a ride, the car's broken down, or needs help moving, or needs food, or warm clothing, or a bed to sleep in. Uh, I remember when my family moved over to New Zealand. Uh, when we arrived, we had very little. Uh, but I can constantly remember as, as we grew up, there were many Christians who even helped us to get settled and continued to help us in times of day. And often these were Christians who barely knew us, helping us at a cost to themselves, giving up time and energy and resources for us. 
Sandra's words should remind us that our deeds shouldn't just be present when it's easy for us. A living faith certainly comes at a cost. And that shouldn't surprise us because our salvation, Jesus saving us, came at a great cost. A sinless one giving his life for those who could never, ever repent. Is it surprising that a living faith is costly? What has your faith cost you recently? What might it cost you in the year ahead? Maybe there will be things you need to give up from time to time to to help a brother or sister in need. Maybe the day won't go exactly as you planned. Maybe that time off is is cut short. For some here, it might feel like I'm I'm preaching to convert it because I think as a church there are a number of people who, who eagerly look for opportunities to serve brothers and sisters in need. Uh, and well, one thing for you, make, make sure you don't fall into the trap that Freddie did, thinking his good deeds were what made him right before God. Keep being reminded of God's grace and, and his mercy towards you in Jesus and act in response to that. I mentioned earlier that James seems to be speaking to those who are in a position to be able to help, but choose not to. I know there are times where, where we simply can't step in as we would like to, as a result of our health or our family or limitations or, or honouring prior commitments. And that's, that's fine, because God knows our hearts, God knows our circumstances. But we should certainly be willing to accept that, that a living faith is costly, and not try and work our way around it. If the, if the cost is something that is an issue for us, we're not willing to part ways with, with whatever that cost may be. Uh, then perhaps our hearts are the things that need some attention. James goes on to finish strongly in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Do you have a living faith? James says that we're lacking deeds and action. It's time to re-examine ourselves, re-examine our lives. Uh, I'm going to give us a moment now to, to do that, uh, and then we'll pray to the end. It's the time of silence.